At the end of chapter 3, the four Tillerman children were trying to settle down to go to sleep, and they were reflecting on life with their mother and their father, and obviously they had differences of opinion about what their parents were like. So now we're going to read chapter 4. Sometime during the night, the rain stopped. They awoke to a sun already risen in the sky. They awoke to the last traces of mist floating above the water. They awoke to thirst. It's still true, James said. One by one, the little ones first. They went off behind the dunes to go to the bathroom. Waiting her turn, Dicey stared at the water. It seemed to stretch off endlessly in shallow blue wavelets. The waves here didn't crash on the shore with a steady sound like muted thunder the way they did in Provincetown. Here, the little waves murmured and gurgled like contented children. A light breeze came off the water, smelling of salt and marshlands. They set off eagerly to find something to drink, and in the knowledge that they would have to walk only a few miles to the park, they could wait to eat after last night's dinner. What's the name of this park? James asked. Rockland, Dicey said. They were walking abreast on the untraveled road. Why? asked James. What do you think? Named after somebody called Rockland? Or because the land is rocky there? How should I know? Dicey said. Most of the land so far has been flat down by the water, James continued. Dicey stopped listening. They drank from a water hose at a gas station. The attendant, busy and incurious, barely looked at them, so they walked off, Dicey turning to look over her shoulder. He's not watching us, Maybeth said to Dicey. I don't want anyone to know who we are or what we or that we're alone. We're not alone, Maybeth answered. She means without adults. James said. But he let us drink the water. He didn't seem to notice us much. You can't tell, Daisy said. You can't tell who to trust. Yes, I can, Maybeth said, but not to quarrel. She said it simply, as if it was her name. Daisy smiled at her and took her hand. Well, I can't, she said. The road wound between occasional houses. It was hedged in low stone fences and went up hills and down hills and around hills. They saw few cars and no stores. Trees were in full leaf, the bright green of early summer. The sun warmed them. The shadows of trees cooled them. The houses they passed had smooth green lawns and long white stone driveways. Just before the road into the park, there was a small general store, its one-plate glass window cluttered with signs for circuses, garage sales, and church suppers. Dicey went in alone. Inside was a young man with red hair that sprang up all over his head in spurts. He had freckles and wore overalls over a plaid shirt. Dicey wandered over to the fresh produce counter. He came to watch her. She picked out four potatoes and a bag of apples. She put these down on the counter by the 
cash register. Then she got a half gallon of milk. She went to the hardware shelves and looked at the knives, pans, fishing rods, and nets. Can I get you something? The young man asked. How much are hooks? Dicey asked. You going fishing? Dicey nodded. There's not much to catch around here. The clamming's better. You ever been clamming? Dicey shook her head. You take one of these. He pulled down a long-handled, claw-fingered rake and drag in the sandbars for clams. The clams dig in just below the sand and you can see their air holes or you can dig for them with your fingers. The rake is more efficient. But how much are hooks? Ten cents each. I'll take one, please. Do you have any fishing line? He offered her a spool for a dollar fifty. Dicey shook her head. They'd unravel some clothes or something. What are you doing anyway? He asked as he rang up her purchases. We're going to the park, my brothers and sister and me. We're going to cook out and fish and maybe dig some clams. Your folks with you? Nah, we're going on our own. He looked at her. Sounds like fun. Look. He unrolled a long piece of fishing line from the spool, cut it off, wound it around three fingers to make a tight coil. You'll need this if you want to try fishing. You got a map of the park? Is there one? We just found the park on a state map and decided to come over and see what it's like. He reached under the counter and pulled out a small, folded brown map. You'll have it pretty much to yourselves. People only come on weekends this time of year. Take care now, he said, ringing up her money. We will, thanks an awful lot. If you like the service, you come back, he smiled. Dicey emptied the bag and left quickly. They had 26 cents left. Not enough for anything. Just inside the entrance to the park, the road turned to dirt. Woods grew up on both sides, pines and hardwoods, with none of the stone fences the children had come to expect. They walked down the entrance road away. Then Dicey led them off into the trees, out of sight of the road. They sat down, and she gave each an apple to munch while she studied the map of the park. Rockland State Park was the same general shape as the state of Connecticut, except in miniature. The two long sides of the rectangle were a little over three miles. The short sides measured a mile and a half. The eastern length ran along the sound in an uneven line. One large cove made what the map called Long Beach. There was also a small cove further north called Just Beach. The rest of the shorefront seemed to be headlands and rocky promontories. The highland began at the southwest corner of the park and ran down to the water, which it met up with about halfway along the length of waterfront. In the southwest, in the southeast rather, section, the map showed marshlands labeled Bird Sanctuary. It's four and a half square miles, James said. Can I have another apple? Is this all there is for lunch? I thought we'd fish, Dicey said. 
The road they went on led through the center of the park until it branched apart about halfway through and went as two roads to the two different beaches. The map showed picnic areas and a playground off to the left, near the inland border. Opposite that, a small campground lay in the highlands on a path that branched off to the right. A larger campground with six camping sites marked on it was on a road that turned off the left fork. This campground lay on the headlands that overlooked the water near the small beach. The picnic area had facilities marked on it. What do you think that means? Dicey asked, pointing. Toilets, I guess, James answered. Do you think they have showers too? Dicey had been hoping for a kitchen house of some sort with pans and a stove where you could make a soup. James didn't think that was likely. Okay, Dicey announced. I say we walk down to here, she pointed to the large campground, and put our stuff at this site, the site nearest to the water. That would feel more like their own home. Then we better get down to the shore and see if we can find some clams. When we've solved the food problem for the day, we can take it easy. Once again they set off, walking four abreast. Perhaps it was the deep silence around them, perhaps the salty wind off the water, perhaps the sense of forest and solitude. For whatever reason, this, was a ple- this walk was a pleasure. Dicey's legs swung out and she began to sing the song about pretty Peggy O. The others joined in. They sang softly, though, so that their music would contribute to the quiet, not destroy it. They passed the playground area to their left. It had tennis courts, parking lots, and a children's section with swings and slides and sandbox and seesaws. They continued past to the campsites, which had fireplaces, water faucets, and flat dirt spaces where a tent could be pitched or a car pulled in. They put the two bags down and looked about them. It was high land, and trees soared above them. Hulking gray rocks broke through the earth at irregular intervals, some so large you could climb to the top and sit looking down. A faint path led off to the east. One behind the other, they followed the path. Soon they were standing on top of a rocky bluff, looking down to shallow water. The path ran on for several more yards along the front of the bluff, then descended to a small beach. The children ran down that section of path, slipping, tumbling, jumping from rock to rock. The beach was nestled into the rocks, as if after hundreds of years of work, the waves had succeeded in making themselves a little room to rest in. It was high tide. Dicey knew that by the closeness of the waves to the line of seaweed that etched the sand. There would be no clams for lunch. You clammed at low tide on the sandbars. There would be no lunch then, and they'd just have to stand it. They could drink some milk. She explained this to the others, and they did not complain. Sammy took off his sneakers and waded in the water, which he reported as cold. Not as cold as ours, but too cold for swimming. 
Maybeth gathered the fragments of shells that nestled among the grassy seaweed. James went off to climb the rocks at the water's edge. Dicey stood looking out over the water. You could see no land across the sound, just unending, restless, dark water. A couple of white sails skimmed along in the distance, bellied out in the wind. The sun toasted her face. She breathed deeply. Somehow, they had to get some more money. Maybe she could go back to that store and offer to work. She could sweep and straighten out shelves. She could fetch things. But then she'd have to think up stories to tell the young, red-headed man. And she was tired of making up stories. Tired. James called out, then came running back. Dicey, there are mussels on the rocks. He held out two of the black bearded mollusks mollusks. You can eat mussels, can't you? We sure can, Dicey said. We can eat them right here. Dicey and James pulled mussels from the rocks and washed them off in the water, while Maybeth and Sammy climbed back up the hill for twigs and, a, and larger pieces of wood. Soon they had a large mound of mussels waiting beside a crackling fire. Dicey gathered an armload of damp seaweed from the water's edge. When the fire was ready, she placed a layer of wet seaweed right on top of it. Steam hissed its way up through to the air. Quickly, Sammy dropped the mussels onto his bed, and Dicey covered them with another layer of seaweed. It's like a pie, she said. Or a sandwich, James said. It looks Awful, Sammy said, poking at the fire with the stick. But they'll taste good, James answered. Anything would taste good. It's funny, you know. When I thought there wasn't anything for lunch, I wasn't that hungry. But now, now I'm starving, Sammy shrieked. He jumped up, did two cartwheels which took him to the water's edge, and landed on his feet with his arms out. And we're going to eat. They ate the rich, meaty mussels for lunch. That evening, when the tide was low and the muddy sandbars appeared along, among puddles of water as far as a hundred yards out, they gathered clams. These they steamed as they had the mussels. With supper, they drank part of the milk and had an apple apiece. They buried the fire in sand and tossed the shells into the water. Then they climbed back up the steep hill to hurl apple cords into the woods and go to bed. They slept behind the campsite rather than in it, in the woods near the water. Dicey couldn't relax. When she saw that the others were all soundly asleep, she quietly got up and went back down to the little beach. For a while she just sat in the sand, hearing and seeing the dark waters, then she walked back and forth along the water's edge. The stars burned high overhead, silence and solitude. She might have been alone in the world. If she had been sitting when the voices approached, she would have kept still and tried to remain unnoticed. But she was standing by the water clearly silhouetted there, and she could hear a woman's voice saying, There's someone here! Two figures approached. <coughs> 
descending the hill cautiously, hand in hand. Hey, man, the man called. Wearily, Dicey nodded to him. Don't be afraid of us. We are harmless, the woman said. Only she was a girl, really. They were both young, in their teens. So am I, Dicey answered. Are your folks camping here, the boy asked. No, Dicey said. We are, the girl said. She looked up at the boy's face. We've been here for two weeks already, haven't we? Was that your fire we saw earlier? Probably, Dicey said. I had some clams. You live near here? The boy asked. Yeah, Dicey said. Well, right now, they were living about 50 yards from where she stood. We always come to this beach, the girl said. It feels like our own private beach by now. Doesn't it, Lou? It does to me, except for weekends, it's empty. You're the first person we've met on it during the week. Dicey made a grunting noise in answer. What's your name, kid, the boy asked. Danny. Danny what? Don't pry, Lou. Leave him be, the girl interrupted. I'm Edie. This is Lou, short for Louis. You'll scare him, she said to the boy. No, I won't, will I? I don't know, Dicey said. I know about him and it's okay, Lou said. Dicey looked up in alarm. She couldn't see his face clearly. You ran away, didn't you? It's all got to be too much for you and you cut out. Isn't that about it? So what? Dicey asked. So we were in the same boat on the same trip. So you haven't got any reason to worry about us squealing on you or laying a heavy go-home message on you. So relax. Dicey grinned. Okay, she said. Are you alone? Not exactly. That's relaxed? I've seen people who thought they were about to be mugged more relaxed. Okay, I won't bug you. We'll all enjoy the scenery together here and talk about cabbages and kings. I gotta go now. If you stick around here, the girl said, we'll see you again. I'd like that, Danny. We're easy to find at the small campground. We'll be there or at the playground or down here. Okay, Dicey said. Well, see you. They had forgotten her by the time she reached the top of the bluff. They stood where she had left them, their arms around each other, facing out over the water. She returned quickly to her family and fell asleep easily. First thing the next morning, while they munched apples and passed the milk carton around, Dicey told the others about her encounter of the night before. I told them I was a boy, she said, named Danny. Can you remember that? They nodded. Maybeth, you too. But why, James asked, what does it matter? It's safer to be a boy than a girl, Dicey said. People leave boys alone more. Anyway, if we meet them again, don't tell our last name. I told them I was a runaway. We'll all be runaways. Are we runaways? Sammy asked. Sort of, Dicey said. We were running away with Mama. James worked it out. But then Mama ran away from us, and now we're running away from everybody. But we're running to Aunt Scylla's house, and that makes it different. 
and mama may be there. That's another difference. We're runaways too, not just runaways. Dicey gave her orders for the morning. James and Sammy were to fish while she and Maybeth washed out the clothes they had been wearing. They wouldn't wash the shorts, just the underwear and socks and shirts. She had seen a movie at school once where the village women washed out the clothes and dried them in the sun. Dicey carried the clothes down to the beach. James and Sammy came down later with some worms they had dug. The boys sat out on a rock surrounded by water while the girls stood knee-deep in the waves, dipping and rubbing the clothes. Half an hour later, James waded out to stand beside Dicey. There are no fish here, he said. The map said there was fishing. That means there must be fish. Well, nothing's happening. Go back and wait. Why, Sammy's there. Sammy is only six years old. How do you know he'll know what to do if he gets a bite? He won't get a bite. James, do as I say, Dicey ordered sternly. He shuffled off, picking up stones and throwing them out into the water, loitering by the base of the bluff, and finally Dicey saw him climb back up by Sammy. In another few minutes, he was back where Dicey and Maybeth were spreading clothes out on the sand. It's no use, James said. Why are you putting them out here? They'll get sandy. They'll blow away once they dry. I don't want sand in my underpants, James said. Our job is laundry. Yours is fishing, Dicey said, and she sent him back. He was beside her again in another few minutes. It's boring, he said. We've got to eat, Dicey muttered. We can eat mussels and clams. I need to know if there are fish. I know that already. There aren't. All right, she cried, exasperated. Never mind, just stop pestering me. I don't care what you do, but let me get on with my work. James wandered to the far end of the beach. He scratched at the rocks with his nails. Dicey looked to be sure Sammy was all right. The little boy sat patiently, the line hanging down from his finger into the water. When all the clothes had been soaked and scrubbed, then wrung out and laid on the sand, Dicey waded up to the rock where Sammy sat. She scrambled up to sit with him. Hey, Sammy! She said, catch anything? Sammy shook his head. His mouth was set in a stubborn line. He glared down down at the water. Tide's almost high, Dicey observed. Sammy nodded. Maybe you should give up. Hush up, Dicey, Sammy spoke in a whisper. Fish don't like noise. But James says there aren't any fish here, Dicey whispered. James is wrong. Look. He pulled up the string and showed Dicey a half-eaten worm still impaled on the hook. I've lost two other worms. Something is down there eating them. I'll catch it. Dicey left him there and went back to the beach. She started a small fire, more to let Sammy know she had faith in him than because she thought he would actually catch anything. Then she skipped stones across the water. Maybeth stood swaying in a half-dance by the water's edge, singing to herself. 
James was climbing up among the big rocks that had tumbled down to the water. Dicey watched him scramble to the top of a rounded boulder and stand up. He saw her watching and waved his arm at her. Then, in a continuation of that motion, he began to fall over. Dicey didn't see James fall because when he lost his balance, she had taken off down the beach. She didn't know what she would do when she got there, but she would be as close as possible in case there was something she could do. She climbed over the small boulders at the bottom of the pile before she looked for James. He had disappeared except for one foot, which stuck up over a rock above her head. Dicey found James cradled in among the rocks. His eyes were closed. His face looked pale. James? He didn't answer. Was he dead? That couldn't happen, could it? And why not, considering the other things that had happened? James's eyes fluttered and opened. He stared around as if he couldn't see her. Dicey? What happened, he asked. He hunkered his body up. So she thought no bones were broken. You fell, she said. Are you okay? I fell? You were waving and you fell off the rock. Oh, let me think. I don't, he said. My foot slipped. I remember I shouldn't have been climbing with wet sneakers. But are you okay? Mabeth was standing at the bottom of the rocks, looking up. It's okay. Dicey yelled down. Sammy still concentrated on the water below the rock. He hadn't seen James fall. Are you? Dicey asked James. I think so. James moved his arms first, then his legs. I guess my back's not broken, he remarked. How do you know? If you move someone with a broken back, the spine separates and the person dies right away. James stated. Boy, was that scary. He sat up beside Dicey. Oh, he bent his head and covered the back of it with his hands. Dizzy, I must have banged my head. Dicey helped James make his slow, sliding way back down over the rocks. He leaned against her as they walked back to the fire. She sat him down beside the little blaze and examined the back of his head. There's no blood, but it's swelling. She pushed the place. Here. Don't, Dicey, James cried. That hurts. Maybeth brought James a t-shirt soaked in the cool water. Dicey wrapped that around his head and told him to lie down. James said it felt better when he was sitting up and he thought he might have a concussion. Dicey asked him what that was and he told her the symptoms. And I do have a headache, he said hopefully. Bad? Pretty bad. Not terrible, he said. But if I fall asleep within about half an hour, you better call an ambulance. The danger is lapsing into a coma. Sammy pushed through the shallow water to them, his hands behind his back. Look, he called, holding out three small fish. I told you. Is something the matter with James? I don't know, Dicey answered. He fell off those rocks. Sammy wasn't interested. While James sat aside, silent, they roasted the fish as they had the hot dogs and peeled off the hot meat with their fingers. James refused any. 
It makes me sick to look at them, he said. Dicey studied him while she chewed. He looked sort of bad. He was the one who knew what the symptoms of concussion were, so he could fake it. But she couldn't imagine James faking nausea and missing a meal. Should she take him to a doctor? How could she explain their situation to a doctor? How could she pay a doctor? Just as well you're not hungry, she commented. There wouldn't be enough to go around. James didn't respond. They cleaned up the bones and innards and tossed them into the water. Dicey praised Sammy, absent, Sammy absent-mindedly for catching the fish. Then they gathered up the sun-baked clothes and shook the sand from them. Let's get back to the campsite, Dicey said. James should be out of the sun, don't you think, James? James nodded, but cut the movement short as if it hurt his head to move it. Back at their camp, they all sat around and stared at James. Dicey was pretty sure more than a half hour had passed. Sammy wandered around, tossing stones, hitting bushes with sticks. What can we do, he finally demanded. Nothing, Dicey said. Sammy kicked at some stones. Why not? You could take them to the playground, James told Dicey. My headache's not that bad if I don't move. I'm not sleepy if I could just sit quiet, you know. Are you sure I can leave you alone? Dicey asked. What about concussions? How long do they last? <coughs> You're supposed to keep the patient quiet for a few days until the headaches stop, James told her. So we can't travel tomorrow, Dicey said. James started to shake his head but winced. Or until you get better, Dicey continued. That's probably right, James said. I'm sorry. Dicey swallowed back her crossness and impatience. It's okay, I guess. I mean, it'll have to be, won't it? She scratched with her fingers in the dirt. How long would they have to stay? Days and days? I'm sorry, James repeated. I'll tell you when it stops, Dicey. Okay, she said. Then we will go over to the playground. You won't go wandering off, will you? What do you think? James asked. He was leaning back against a rock, his face still pale. Then we're off. First stop the bathrooms. James, don't you have to go to the bathroom? No, he said. All I want is some quiet. They cut through the woods rather than going down the road. Dicey picked up a long stick and swung it at tree trunks, trying to work things out. They would have to stay another day at least. She would have to keep an eye on James, too, to be sure he was all right. But she wanted to get going tomorrow morning. She broke her stick against the trunk and picked up another one. But she couldn't get going because it wouldn't be safe for James. The longer they stayed in a place, the greater their danger of being noticed. As they emerged from the woods, Dicey saw the boy and the girl who had talked to her on the beach, Lewis and Edie. They looked at her. Remember, she whispered to Sammy and Maybeth. I'm Danny, remember. Yes, Dicey, they said. The boy and girl were even younger than they had seemed at night, maybe even sixteen. 
Edie had long, heavy brown hair and protruding brown eyes. Lewis had wildly curling brown hair and wore heavy rimmed glasses, which he continually pushed up on his nose. His teeth were crooked, which made him look friendly. Hi, Danny, Edie said. Hi, Dicey answered, approaching them. Meet Maybeth and Sammy. I want a swing, Sammy said. First the bathrooms, then you can play. You're coming with me? Sammy asked. Of course, Dicey said, then remembered who she was, or rather who she wasn't. Sammy just grinned. The man's bathroom was like a girl's, except that there were three urinals in a row and only one toilet. The toilet had no door on it. It wasn't so bad. All the same, she hurried, and her heart was beating fast when she pulled the clumsy wooden door closed behind her. Sammy was inside washing his hands and face, giggling, but Dicey didn't want to risk hanging around any longer than she had to. Lewis and Edie were standing around Maybeth when Dicey came out. She sent Maybeth and Sammy over to the swings. Not exactly alone, Lewis said, facing Dicey. Not exactly. And there's another one, Lewis said. Maybeth shook her head when I asked, was this all of you? Dicey nodded. He's not with you now, Lewis observed. Dicey sighed. He had a fall, so he's resting. Is he all right? Edie sounded worried. What happened? He fell, Dicey said. He says he's okay. So, where are you heading? Lewis asked. Up to Provincetown on the Cape, Dicey told him. We used to have some family there. It's a neat place in summer. Edie want to go with them? Lewis asked. It will be a good cover in case your old man has the cops out. Edie shook her head. She looked at Dicey with frightened eyes. Provincetown's a good place, from all I've heard, Lewis went on. Some jobs, lots of people. Cops don't look too close. You said we'd stay here until our money ran out, Edie said. You scared? Lewis challenged her. You know, I'm not. I proved it, didn't I? Sure, you got a hold of the money just fine. You can relax, Edie. Danny here isn't about to tell anybody anything. Are you, kid? Dicey just stared at him. It's not as if she really robbed him, Lewis went on explaining. He was talking to Dicey, but he was watching the effect of his words on Edie. I mean, I wrote the checks. She just took the checkbook. Besides, the way I figure, I'm saving him a lot of money on her college education, so he should be grateful to me, right, Edie? Sure. So what do you say? Want to travel with these kids? Edie shook her head. I like it here, she said. And if I decide I don't, Lewis asked. Edie looked up at him. Her eyes had tears in them. Hey, Lewis said. He threw his arm around her. Hey, I'm just kidding. Can't you take a joke? Dicey sidled away from them and went to the swings. Let it go on being a joke, she thought. She didn't know what to do if Lewis and Edie tried to go with them. She couldn't wait there long for worry about James and for worry about when they'd be able to get moving again. Sammy complained, but she hurried the two little ones back to their campsite. James greeted them in his normal voice. His head, he said, was better now. His appetite, he said, was huge. 
He'd missed lunch after all. They all went down to the little cove. James moved his body slowly and cautiously, as if he was afraid it might break. <coughs> they gathered clams for dinner while James watched the fire. Dicey wrapped the potatoes in seaweed, too, and baked them in the fire. They had brought the milk carton down with them. They picnicked in tired solitude, eating as much as they wanted. Behind them, the sun went quickly down. Twilight crept over the water toward them, dainty as a mouse.